All right, I need to let you guys in on a little secret. Pastors kind of stress out about the first sermon series at the beginning of the year. Because people are coming back to church or checking out new churches and said, we want this one to be really good. And on top of that, I mean, you have some goals. You have, you know, probably some things you want to accomplish in 2013. Things perhaps like lose some weight, pay down some debt, have more dates with your spouse or go on a special vacation with your kids. And all of those are good goals. I would even say God is concerned about those. But often our goals and our desires when we project into the future are only self-centered and we forget about what, what God wants from us. And that's the question that as I sought the Lord for the beginning of this year, I thought, Lord, what do you want our people to be like? What's your heart for the people, God? And I believe that the Lord has put this on my heart and it was reinforced throughout scripture that God wants us to be holy. He wants us to be a holy people. Now, when we first hear that, there's parts of us that, that kind of recoil and we think that's a negative thing. There's lots of different reasons why we think that's negative, wrongly think that's negative. Society kind of has a bad stigma about the word holy. In fact, it can be an insult. Oh, you think you're, you're holier than thou or something? You think you're so holy? And, and that's projected upon us. And, and we suddenly think that it's something, something bad. But I believe God's going to show you in the next couple of weeks that to be holy before the Lord is a good thing. It's a becoming. It's an attractive thing upon you. It's an attractive and fitting upon God's people. He wants you to be holy. He wants me to be holy. And all the other things, all the other goals we have this year, yeah, they, they matter, but not compared to his desire for us to be pure and holy before the Lord. And that's why we call this 100% pure, God's call to holiness. Well, in order to understand God's call to holiness, let's talk about what does it mean to be holy? Or no, what does, what's the definition of the word holy? Well, I did something really academic for you. I looked up some commentaries and I cut and paste this really official definition. So let's look at the official definition. Holy, moral and ethical wholeness are perfection. Freedom from evil. So you see some words that jump out there, perfection. Freedom from evil. A complete wholeness. In short, there's no error in holiness. There's no impurity. There's no hidden motive. Holy is absolutely perfect. And there is only one thing that is completely holy, and that's God. God is holy. In fact, some of the scriptures that we read during worship, his name is holy. I mean, God is completely perfect, without error, without impurity, without defect, without blame. God is completely and utterly holy. He is holiness himself. God is holy. So that's the textbook definition. And believe it or not, holiness is kind of a big subject. In fact, when I was in Bible college, I took a whole three-hour credit course class called the doctrine of holiness. I got a B plus in it. 
Sorry, your pastor's not A plus on holiness, but it was a tough class. The weird thing about it is, is that there's enough debate and theological perspectives and there's enough complicated definitions that a whole course and really lots and lots of books. I have a, in fact, I found a whole notebook of notes and I have books and a bibliography of all these different theories on holiness. But I'm going to give you a very simple definition of holiness today that, that I, I believe we're going to look at every week, every week from this point forward when we have our series a simple definition that cuts through all the complications is this. To be holy is to be close to God. Period. Holiness is being close to God. It's not a doctrinal statement. It's not a denominational position. Holiness is, is not a term we define. It's a reality we live. And it's being close to God. So I want you to turn your Bibles to First Peter chapter 1. And if you have a, a smartphone... I guess as opposed to a stupid phone. If you have a smartphone, uh, there is an app called YouVersion. And go to live events and, and it'll show you a lot of churches in this area, but you can find the church at Indian Lake and we have preloaded the scriptures and the notes there. And also the outline is on the back of the review. You may not have seen that. On the front is the announcements. You can flip it and there's some notes on the back. So in order to understand God's call to holiness, today we're gonna focus on one thing. God's holiness. Because until you understand that God is holy, you won't understand why we're called to holiness. So today we're going to focus on God's holiness. But the theme verse that I'm just imagining we're going to look at almost every week comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 15. It says it this way. But as he who called you is holy, and that's what we're going to establish today, God is holy, you also be holy. And all your conduct. Since it is written, and now it quotes the Old Testament, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is a theme that is throughout the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Ever since God began to deal with people, he dealt with the issue of holiness. You shall be holy, because I am holy. So holiness starts with God. It starts with understanding his character and understanding who he is. And what's going to help us is a, a really simple principle that you know. If you've ever been a parent or an uncle or an aunt, or you've ever taught, or if you've ever been a child. So I think we've covered everybody in here. You're going to understand a little phrase that either you've given this phrase or you've heard this phrase. The phrase is this, you are who you hang out with, right? You are who you hang around with. Whoever you spend time with, you pick up their characteristics. My wife is from Eastern Kentucky in the Appalachian Mountains. She is literally a coal miner's daughter. Man, I want to sing right now, bad. You know, you just want to sing that song. I know you're humming that song too. But when I met her, uh, she had just gotten her degree in performing arts and had been in lots of musicals. You heard how great her voice was, but she's an actress too. And, and she had this just really clean dialect. But I proposed to her. I'd only known her six months and I gave her a ring. And those are in the days when cell phones weren't, weren't as uh, prevalent as my nine-year-old says back in the 19s. It was, yeah, way back then before they had electricity, but 
So back in the 19s, it was 1997, uh, you know, cell phones weren't as prevalent. So we, we were engaged and, you know, a few minutes into it, Beth said, can I call my mom? So I'm sure, sure. I give her the phone. She dials her mom's number and she, all of a sudden I hear her say, mama, I'm engaged. It was just deep Southern Appalachian dialect. And I'm thinking, who is this girl? I've never heard this before. Well, since that time, since that time, again, she, she has a, such a beautiful voice. I love it. I love her. I love your voice. This is damage control right now. Your voice is beauty unto me in my life. But now when I hear her talk on the phone and she has a certain dialect, certain accent, I know it's either her mom or her sister or one of her girlfriends from back home. I just like, oh, someone from Kentucky. Just as she starts talking to her friends or her, her sister or mom, she starts to use that dialect. You, you know, it's true. Whoever we hang out with, we become like. See, holiness isn't complicated. That's what it is with God. If you understand that God is holy, God is holy, then holiness is not about following rules. Holiness is about connecting with a person. Holiness comes out of fellowship. Holiness comes out of connection. Holiness is not something that we manufacture on our own and try to prove to other people. Holiness is a reality of the heart that comes from being close to a God who is completely holy. One of the things that concerns me in contemporary times is when children are not duly respectful to authority. We have some police officers around here. Charlie Morrow, he's one of our police officers with the Goodlettsville Department. And Chris Taylor is with Metro. And often Chris will be up here with his uniform. And I mean, he has his badge. I mean, he looks like your quintessential cop with his badge and his gun. And you don't just see him and want to say, what's up, Chris? No, his, his persona demands you to call him Officer Taylor because there's a certain amount of respect. Kenny Powell, he's the principal of a junior high down the street. And he's a really close friend of mine. So if I were to ever play basketball with Kenny, which I never do because he's a lot taller than me and he played college basketball, I don't want him to embarrass me. But if I were, he's just Kenny. But when I'm at a basketball game supporting some of our kids and he's there as a principal, he's Mr. Powell. He's Mr. Powell because his position demands respect. So when we begin to minimize certain people in our life, uh, the role of educators, the role of grandparents, the role of correction officers and get too casual with them, we limit, we limit their authority in our lives. We self-limit them. See, their position demands a certain amount of respect. Now, if that's true for teachers and police officers, and politicians. Think about how true it is for a holy God who created the universe, who, whose quintessential nature is holiness. He deserves our respect. He deserves our honor. He deserves our recognition with humility. See, the first point I want to bring up today is that God is holy, and we know this because he is unique. 
He's not ordinary. He's unique. There's, there's no one like our God. He's unique. You need to understand this. That's why universalism is such a lie. Oh, you can just pick any God and all gods will get you to heaven. No, our God is very particular. He has a very particular character. He has a very particular revelation. He has a personality that's very unique. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. He is holy. He's unique. He's not just ordinary. And when we understand that, that changes the way we worship him. That changes the way we approach Christian community and church life. It changes the way that we spend our money. It changes the way that we choose our conduct and we choose our behavior because we're close to this God who is unique, unlike any God, not ordinary at all. This theme started really early among his people. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. What a, a, an important scripture. The question is, who's like you, O Lord, among the gods? This is a people who were among a polytheistic community that had all these different gods. And it says, who is like you, O Lord, specific, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, look at this phrase, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. That's who our God is. Our God's not ordinary. He's not like any God. He's not just any religion. He's not just any path. He is majestic in holiness. There's no one like him. No one's ever been like him. No one will ever be like him. He's set apart. He's in a completely different category. He's majestic in holiness. That is who our God is. And so it was from the beginning. When God touched something, it became holy. And so he touched the family, he touched Abraham, and he said, from this, forth, this day forth, Abraham and your descendants, you're a holy people. I'm going to take this one family, I'm going to take this one clan, the Jewish people, and they're holy. And then he said, here's some land in Canaan, and that land is going to be holy. And this is special land. It's not like any other land. Why is that land special? It's not special because of its geography. It's not special because of its location. It's not special because of any other characteristics. It's special because God called it holy. It has a touch of God on it. God said, this is my land and these are my people. They're holy because I've touched them. Then God had the the tent that would travel in the desert. And then specifically, he picked one mountain. He said, on the mountain Moriah, this is where my temple's gonna be. And there was a building. There were two temples, two different temples. It doesn't exist anymore. Now just one wall exists. But two temples that God said, this is holy. This is a holy building. This is a holy building. And and when people come here, they're gonna have to prepare themselves in a special way because I have touched this building and the temple is holy. And within the temple, there were artifacts and there was special furniture. And there were special artifacts that God specifically put in the temple. And his touch was on those. And those items were holy. That has been the way it has been. And then Jesus came. And Jesus came and through the new covenant, the holy of holies, the, the curtain was split from the top to the bottom. And all of a sudden now Jesus said, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And now you are holy. You are special. You are touched by me. The touch of the Lord is on you. You are holy. You are holy not because, because you're part of a certain church or not because you're part of a certain doctrine or not because you have been called holy because of an action that makes you look holy to other people. You're holy because you've got the touch of God on you. The touch of God is on you. The anointing's on you. The Holy Spirit's been deposited in you. That's what sets you apart. 
That's what makes you holy unto the Lord. See, our God's not ordinary. Our God's not ordinary. He, he's special. Now, a joke that I've used several times, and I've heard most of the guys use this joke in the church. I mean, this is a really, really strategic joke to say this. Man, I'm married up. I'm married up. Have y'all heard that before? In fact, I did a whole sermon series last February called I'm Married Up. And, and occasionally, you'll see that. I mean, you'll see a, a, a girl, and you're like, how in the world did she get that guy? And the guy, how did she get that girl? But most of the time, it's just a fun joke. You know, I'm married up, you know? And, and that's a compliment to our wives and, and it, the, the whole deal. Why am I feeling this, this, this isn't going well, this part of the joke? But anyway, <laughs> stick with me here. I don't, I don't feel like that went well. In literature, though, we see this true, how people who fall in love and they're from completely different classes and they're not supposed to interact at all. One example is my fair lady. There was no way that that couple, they should have ever been romantically attracted. They were in different classes. Another example is the movie, the story from literature that became a movie, Pride and Prejudice. The couple there had no reason to be together. So there are examples of that. You just know, you've seen it in literature of, of people who, because they're in different classes, there's no way they should be together. I want you to, to take that concept and take it to, you know, times it by infinity to understand how we are not in the same class with God at all, period, not even close. God is separate from us. God is not one of us. That's my second observation here. God's separate. He's not one of us. We've gotten so casual with God. We projected our personal feelings. And so we even come up with all kinds of doctrines. And we say, how could God think that way? That's not reasonable. As if God's definitions or, or God's decisions have to fit within the reasonable, the, the way we reason in our mind. We project everything on God like he's one of us, as if he's going to have to answer to us, as if when we stand before him someday, God's going to have to explain everything to us because it just isn't reasonable to us. Realize God is separate. He's not one of us. You'll never be holy like God wants you to be until you realize that you follow a God who is holy. He's separate. He's not one of us. He's different, but yet he has a heart for us. I love Mary's attitude when the Lord revealed to her that she was going to give birth to the Messiah through a virgin birth, through the touch of the Lord. And in Luke chapter one, verse 46, she says it this way. Mary said, this is Luke chapter one, verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Think about what Mary said. Mary said, I've got the blessing and favor and touch of the Lord, but it's on me because his name is holy. Not because Mary's name is great, because his name is great. His name is holy. Holy is his name. Holy is the name of the Lord. He is holy. He is special. He is different. That's where our God is. I'm amazed at 
our children's staff. That's why I'm looking forward to meeting with them tonight at 6 p.m. I'm amazed at the love and care our children's staff shows to the kids who come here on a regular basis and the kids who visit from week to week. Even they're passing through one week, they're here to show the love of God and show the love of Christ. One thing I've recognized about connecting with kids, there's lots of different ways you can connect with kids, but one technique that you can use that's really important to connect with kids, we're not always able to use this, but it is important. Most of the time, most people are much taller than a child. And so when they see a child and they want to connect with a child, you got to kind of stoop down. you got to stoop down to be more approachable and so you can connect with that child. And if you really want to connect with that child, and if you're physically able to do it, and if it's an appropriate setting for you to do it, you, you do more than just stoop down. You kneel down. And, and you get right there, eye to eye with the child. And you humble yourself. And you get down on their level so you can look that child in the eye. And people who are really great with kids understand that concept. Here's what's great about our God. Our God who is humble. He, he, our God who is holy. And, and he's unique. And he's different. And he's not like us. But he has chosen. God has chosen to be approachable. God's chosen to be approachable. He's, he's crouched over. And he's knelt down. And he's looked us in the eye. Not because he has to. But because he wants to. He loves us. He's humble. In fact, our God is so approachable that really it's more than being approachable. He's seeking us. Our God seeks us out by his grace, by his love, by his mercy. He is seeking us out. He is seeking out a relationship. And like someone who's good with a child, he is getting into our world and still retaining his holiness and retaining his perfection, but becoming one of us through Christ. And now through the activity of the Holy Spirit, he's connecting with us and he has chosen to be approachable. I love this scripture in Isaiah 57. This is a beautiful scripture. Isaiah 57 verse 15, it says, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up. Isn't that great? That's what we've been talking about, these first two points. The one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. So this is God saying, hey, I am high. I am holy. I am separate. I am different. Now look at the second part. And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Isn't that beautiful? To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Isn't that beautiful? God says, this is the one who is high and lifted up, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with whom is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That's what our God does. Yes, he is different than us. Yes, he is high and holy. Yes, he is above us and beyond that, but he has chosen not only to be approachable, he has chosen to seek us. And that's the gospel story. 
That's why we're here today. Our Jesus is seeking you out. On this first Sunday of the year, Jesus is seeking you out. And he is not here to condemn you. He's not here to to make you feel like you're a horrible person because you don't follow these rules. He's saying, I want to know you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to spend time with you. I want you to know my heart. And as you begin to know the heart of God, as you begin to fellowship with the Lord, as you begin to know his word and know his character, excuse me, and, and are around people who who love him and who are like him, then God will begin, be, begin to have his holiness work out in you. It's a beautiful thing being close to the Lord, the nearness of the Lord, understanding that holiness is not about rules, it's about relationship. It's a relationship with God. It's being in relationship with him and allowing his spirit to touch you and his spirit to connect with you. And that's my heart for you as your pastor this year. Man, I'd love for you to make more money this year. I think that'd be great. I'd love for you to get healthier. I think that's important. I'd love for you to have your dream vacation because God is a great God and he's made a great world. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? My prayer for you is that you would understand a closeness to God is gonna produce a holiness in you that is so good. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for these scriptures. I thank you, Lord, that your character is pushing us forth. Your heart is pushing us forth. That, God, you are changing us, changing us from within. You're changing us from within. And I really feel like God wants some of you to take a step of faith today. I mean, it it is time. He has you here. You made a good decision to be here today. You put God first this first day of the week, this first week of the year. And his call to holiness this morning is a reflection. It's a reflection of who he is. You're reflecting his character. You're reflecting who he is. I'm going to give you a chance to raise your hand in a moment. And I'm going to do that for a specific reason. I want it to be a point of faith for you. It's not for validation for my sermon. It's so that I can be a witness between you and God. You're not raising your hand for Aaron. You're raising your hand for God. And you're saying, God, I mean business. I want to start today. Here's a wrong way to think. I'm going to change my actions and hope God accepts me. That's dead religion. You accept God's forgiveness and then he'll work the actions out as you stay close to him. Let me say that again. Don't say, well, when I get my act together, then, then I'll be accepted of God. No, receive his acceptance now and by his grace and love, forgiveness and by his fellowship. You will, you will become more like him. You will become.